0: Well, if you haven't heard, my name is Ryan Schaefer. Um, I am, I guess, the new pastor. I'm new Pastor Ryan. Um, and I'm really excited to be here. Our whole family is really excited to be here. Um, we've made our way kind of all over the state, with the exception of kind of the eastern half of the state so far uh, in, our, uh, in our lives. Aaron comes from Richmond. I come from northern Virginia, uh, which to some people may not be Virginia. Um, <laughs> So, But we've lived in the Shenandoah Valley for the last eight years, and before that we were in Farmville for a time. So. Uh, but I figured I'd address probably the number one question that you all have this morning as you're looking at me, and that is, yes, I use beard oil. <laughs> sometimes a beard balm. Uh, but, but really, probably the bigger question that I imagine many people have is, what's with that collar thingy? If you couldn't tell under the beard, I have a a little collar on. So I I figured I'd probably go ahead and address that before I talk about anything else this morning, before I even get to the scripture. Because uh, I get asked that quite often, is why do you wear that? And I could go through a lot of theological reasons about being yoked with Christ, or practical reasons about gender equality. Uh, But I'll start with the main reason, and that's because of a conversation that I've had numerous times throughout ministry, which usually goes something like this. Oh, you're a pastor. What kind of pastor? Like a youth pastor? No, I'm not a youth pastor. Oh, okay, so you're like an associate or an assistant pastor somewhere, right? No, I'm not an associate pastor. And this is where they get really confused, because if you're not an associate pastor and you're not a youth pastor and you're this young and you have a beard, then what could you be? And so their look of confusion really takes over, and they're going, "Well, what kind of pastor are you then? I'm a pastor. So you have your own church? Yes, somebody was stupid enough to give me their, my own <laughs> church to lead. So that's why I wear the collar. That's primarily the reason I wear the collar. I will say there are some times where it it, it becomes a problem. Uh, for instance, I went to visit my uncle uh, who was in the hospital many years ago before he passed. Uh, and the great thing about wearing a collar is nobody asks questions when you go to the hospital. They just assume you're there to visit somebody and they just let you through. And so I'm in the ICU and I turn the corner and my uncle is laying there in the bed and he goes, oh, shoot, except for he didn't say Shoot. See, what, what you need to know is my Uncle Louis and my mom have, uh, my mom has 13, or 12 brothers and sisters, and so my uncle has a lot of nieces and nephews. So he didn't recognize me, he saw the collar, and his first thought was, I'm dying, and they sent me a priest to give me my last rites. <laughs> so there are times when there <laughs> where it, uh, it definitely has its hindrances, but, so anyways, I figured I'd get that out of the way first uh, this morning. Um, and with that out of the way, our gospel lesson this morning comes to us from the gospel according to Mark. Um, I think it will be up there on the screen. It'll, my, the words might be a little different than what I have here, but it comes from Mark 5, 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd had gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogues named Yaris came, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under the physicians and had spent all of the time that she had, and had spent all that she had had, and yet she was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhaging stopped, and he felt, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see that the crowd is pressing in on you, how can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any farther? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow except for Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And they came to the house where the leader of the synagogue. And he saw a commotion, and the people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, only sleeping. And they laughed at him, and then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in to where the child was. And he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about, and she was about 12 years old. At this they were overcome with amazement, and he strictly ordered them to tell no one this, and told them to give her something to eat. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Are you saved? It's a question that I've heard a lot in sermons, in personal conversations, even at funerals. Are you saved? If you heard it over the radio, it probably sounded like, Are you saved? Right? <laughs> Quite honestly, I've always, my whole life, been really confused at how to answer that question. So, when a church member once asked me, When I was saved, I simply answered, I wasn't. Now, before you freak out and go call the district superintendent, If that worries you, let me explain myself. When asked, when were you saved, my full answer was, I'm not saved. I am being saved. Because it's my understanding that, as far as I know, God is not done with me yet. What has always troubled me about the word saved is that it implies completion. I'm saved. I've finished all that I've needed to do in faith. I'm set, me and God are good. I'm set to go to heaven. I don't need to worry about doing anything else. I just need to sit here and wait. And I think what often troubles me in churches when I see how Christians behave about being saved is that faith to them only becomes about getting to heaven, and getting the next person saved, and getting them on their little checklist. For example, there was a church that we, not that we served, but that was in the community that we served many years ago, uh, that apparently had been going around door to door to every house in the town. And they would knock, and they would ask them two questions. they would say, do you believe in God? And most of them, by default of being Christian, America, you know, living in America, would say, yes, I believe in God. And they would say, well, do you believe uh, that Jesus has saved you? And most of them would say, yes, regardless of how they lived or anything that they've done. And the church would go, well, you're now a member of our church. And that's how they went about evangelizing. They just kind of went door to door and said, okay, you're now part of our church, you're now part of our church. And the whole goal was just simply to get people to put a little check by their name. And then you were done. It didn't matter what you did. Many of the people that they had brought to Christ still did drugs regularly. Many of them, uh, some of them, still were involved in extramarital affairs, um, and their lives never changed. They were the same people they were. They didn't, nothing about them was any different other than they had put their check next to that box. Sometimes I fear that we as Christians think that we've got it all figured out. And I think in this morning's text, that's where a lot of the people that are surrounding Jesus are. They think they've got it all figured out. They know what to expect from church, from the world, from faith. They've got it all figured out. You see it in the disciples' response this morning when, he's, when Jesus is looking for the person who touched his clothes, and they say, well, there's a whole crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? You can't know that, Jesus. We know how the world works. It's why the friends of Yaris come to him and say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble this teacher any longer? We already know the fate of your daughter. We already know what happens now. And that's we're going to bury her. That's it. It's why when he arrives at the house, the mourners who are there weeping, when he asks them why they're weeping, they laugh in his face. Why are we weeping? She's dead. We know how this works. We know the world. She's dead. But each and every time in my own life, and I think in the life of the people in the scriptures this morning, that we think that we have faith, our lives, and the world figured out, God always comes in with surprises, helping us to realize that all the things that we thought we knew, we didn't really know anything at all. And so, in both of these stories this morning, we find that when people accept that they don't know anything, there's the opportunity for transformation. That an encounter with Christ will transform us. In both stories this morning, two people come looking for Christ. Neither of them think they have the answers, but instead trust that this Jesus can transform the bleak and miserable, painful lives that they live. We start first with the woman. She sought out Jesus, trusting that even the smallest encounter with Christ would transform her life. She wasn't seeking mud rubbed in her eyes like some, or for the laying on of hands. She simply needed the smallest touch of his clothes. And that would be enough. If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Jennifer Gardner, the actress, grew up going to church her entire life in West Virginia. But when she moved to Los Angeles, she stopped attending, like most people when they move away from home. And so she stopped attending church, and life got busy, and jobs and kids, and life went on. That is, until she worked on a movie that came out. I have not seen it, but maybe you have. It's called Miracles from Heaven. Have you heard of that movie? Um, so she worked on that movie, and one of the reasons she sought out that movie was because it was a movie about faith, and, and the faith that she had grown up in. And she was touched by the story, and so when I, I think when she went into, the, into that job she was expecting to encounter God. During the filming of that movie, her life fell apart. Her husband cheated on her, they had a divorce, and her life got pretty rocky. And in all of that, the director told her, if you need an out, go. Go. If you need to stop making this movie, that's okay. We'll find someone else. Your life is pretty chaotic right now. But she believed in that story, and so she stuck with it, I think believing that she would encounter Christ. And because of that movie, she said, there was something about doing that film and talking to my kids that made me realize that we were all looking for the structure of church every Sunday. So it was a great grift of the film that it took us back to finding our local Methodist church and going every Sunday. See, sometimes it's the smallest things and looking for just the smallest things where we encounter Christ and our lives are transformed. Then there is Yaris, the father with a dying daughter. He is seeking Christ full of hope that she might be healed. And all that hope is dashed when he is informed that he has not brought Jesus in time. That his daughter is dead. All hope is gone. There's no need to look for Jesus anymore. The blessing is though that Christ was able to transform his life, bringing his daughter not only back to life, but back to fullness and health. We had a woman in our last church uh, whom everybody affectionately called Granny. Um, And and Granny is one of those ladies that I am 100% sure that she is a saint. I have no doubt in my mind. Granny teaches the children's Sunday school class and pretty much is the reason all the kids come to church, is to sit with Granny. In addition to that, she spends most of her fall, winter, and spring nights at the homeless shelter, living with the homeless, taking care of them. And on top of that, she also leads the backpack program at, our, at the last church, where she um, organized and put together bags of food that would go home with kids on the weekends, who got free and reduced lunches because their family couldn't afford food. She's a lady that does it all. Well, not long after we got to Glover, which was our last church, Granny went blind. And this was especially hard for not only Granny, but for the entire church. Because Granny led them in everything. She took care of the kids, she led their mission, she did everything. And after about a month of her being blind, we finally all started getting to a rhythm of, of who was going to teach the Sunday school class and how things were going to go. And we all accepted the fact that Granny was blind. So there was no need to continue praying for healing. There was no need to continue to, to, to seek God to transform her vision. She was blind. That was it. So we all accepted her blindness, even Granny. Now, Granny still had a deep, abiding faith, but she accepted the fact that she was blind now. One day she was visiting with her daughter, and she was sitting at the table, and her daughter went to go take care of the grandkids for a minute. And Granny, feeling a little tired, put her head down on the table and just rested for a minute. And when her daughter came back, she opened her eyes and looked up and she could see clearly. She's not had trouble with her vision since. At the very moment that we all gave up thinking that healing wasn't possible, at the moment where we all struggled to carry any sense of hope that she would ever see again, God returned her sight. She never stopped trusting God, never stopped seeking God. She just believed that blindness was God's will for her now. Like Yaris, sometimes when we encounter Christ, Christ and the Church carries the hope for us, that in the midst of our despair and in the midst of our trouble, Christ can still transform our lives. And sometimes Christ carries that hope when we can't carry it ourselves. In big ways and in small ways, when we seek out Christ and walk with Christ, our lives will be transformed. We never have it fully figured out. We're never fully right. That check mark is never fully checked. Because I still believe we are all still being saved. It's a process, a journey that we are taking together. Constantly seeking out Christ each and every day. So the question for us this morning as we gather is, do we come thinking that we have all the answers that we've got faith figured out that we're really just kind of showing up here so that everybody can see that we've got our check mark checked? Or are we showing up here on Sundays and we living our lives in a way that we are seeking Christ anew every day? That we are seeking to be transformed every day? Over the coming years, my hope is for us to walk together. To seek Christ in our lives together. That as we grow deeper in our faith, our lives may be continued to be transformed. I hope that whatever it is that I leave here, hopefully it's many, many years from now, but my hope is that whenever we do leave, that both you and I will have been changed for the better. And that as a result of the transformation in our lives, we may transform the world around us. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, Help us to seek you in everything that we do. Help us to look for you in every day of our lives. And help us to seek you together. That we may be transformed. That you may transform our lives and lead us into wholeness and fullness. To be the people that you have called us to be. People who aren't just waiting for another place, but people who are seeking to transform the world around us to be more like your gracious kingdom. Lord, we ask all of this, all in your Son's name. Amen.